Good Tuesday, everybody, and welcome back to I Fucking Love This Movie. Episode 6, I'm doing a deep dive on George A. Romero and his filmography. Um, George's birthday was actually on February 4th. It would have been 82 this year. So that really was the inspiration behind this episode and that he's one of my all-time favorite filmmakers. So I will be going through his filmography and kind of you know, talking about each film in this one. So first, we George is the first director that I have talked about and made an episode about on my podcast. So I'm glad I'm kicking it off with a good one. Um, depending on what part of the country you live in, how about all that snow, man? I live in central Ohio, and I had no idea we were going to hit that bad. I mean, it completely exceeded my expectations. I mean, it got so bad here that they canceled work for me on Friday. So three-day weekend, lazed around, managed to get out of the house on Saturday for a little bit, and I got my laundry done before Sunday night. So it's a pretty good weekend. I hope everybody out there who had to endure the snow was safe, warm, and and whatnot. So, yeah, um, I think we're going to cut it here. Episode 6, George A. Romero, my tribute to George A. Romero. Um, enjoy. talk Romero everybody um actually what brought this one on was um a I had no new deep dive and another thing was um George's birthday was February 4th three days ago it would have been his 82nd birthday so happy birthday Mr. Romero so yeah let's talk George man uh obviously one of my favorites you know of all time one of my favorite directors of all time and just to think about his career in general is just mind-blowing i mean let's talk about pre-night of living dead i mean this guy doesn't go with an ad agency he starts his own company the latent image i think is what it's called so the latent image or image 10 one of those starts his own company makes commercials and then just gets the wild hair up his ass one day to make a movie because you know that was the goal all along you know he made these commercials you know got a couple bucks as probably you would put it, you know, to pay the bills and whatnot. But like the, the dream was to always make a film. And he did that, you know, him and a few friends, you know, threw in, I think it was like $600 and that film ended up becoming night of the living dead. And wow, you want to talk about your calling card in the business right off the bat night of the living dead. Let's talk about night of the living dead horror at that point was just kind of very it was kind of like you know the whole universal monster movie thing kind of kind of had came and went but it you know it still lingered it still had you know its presence i mean it, it got reissued every so often universal put them back in the theaters every so often so you know they were always around they always had presence i mean they were highly influential i mean all the every almost every horror director even director in general is influenced by the universal monsters so, I mean, you had those. I mean, then you had other horror movies, B-movies and whatnot. And then Night of the Living Dead comes out in 68. And it becomes one of the biggest game changers, not only in cinema, but in horror. Because, I mean, first off, it was shot in black and white in a time where, like, color was starting to reign supreme. And um, 
It was haunting. It was creepy. It was unsettling. I mean, it still kind of is now. I mean, everybody's just like, oh, it's an old black and white movie, you know. I mean, not too many people say that, but I'm, you know, with anything, you know, in life, you have your naysayers. But I mean, it's still haunting. I mean, just you know, think about America at that point. Think about cinema at that point. I mean, it was unsettling. One of my uh, favorite stories that I heard when Nine of Living Dead got released was, um, I guess it played a children's matinee. And it just scared a theater full of kids. I mean, that's horrible. I'd hate for my daughter to go to the movies and just be frightened by a film like that. But, like, I mean, it was the 60s. So, so yeah, Nine of the Living Dead just... And from what I've heard, I mean, it was an instant success. But it kind of took a while to kind of get momentum and whatnot. I mean, it was it, it was a big box office smash. I mean, not a huge one. I mean, it caused a ripple. But like, as as George, I was uh, watching an interview with George, and he said it took a while for it to kind of gain momentum. But like, it, it it made some money. But the only problem with that was is uh, the copyright lapsed, and it was one of the few films in existence that I know. I mean, there's plenty of films that are out there, but the one of the popular ones in existence that was public domain, and like anybody could put put it out and sell it. I remember growing up and going into any media store and seeing like a copy of night of the living dead, like several of them, like all these companies got a hold of it, like good times and whatnot. So that was the one disadvantage of it. I mean, they, cause they could have really just like bankrolled that movie, like just hand over fist money. I mean, I'm sure they made some money, but like they never really saw any real money from it as far as I was concerned. And that was the one really disadvantage of it. But the upside of that was it was highly influential and the film doesn't really get, the credit it deserves as being um, one of the uh, front runners for the uh, independent film movement of the late sixties. I mean, you had easy rider. I mean, easy rider essentially was a polished version of like the exploitation uh, drive-in movies that Roger Corman and all those guys were doing. It was just more refined and polished and whatnot and something a studio could release. You know, you had easy rider, you had uh, born losers, which was, it was kind of a motorcycle movie, but not in the length that Easy Rider was. Uh, Tom Laughlin did that one, who ended up seeing success with the Billy Jack series. And then you had Nine of Living Dead. I wholeheartedly believe those three films influenced the independent kind of, I don't want to call it a resurgence, but kind of like the independent film thing that was going on in the 60s. Is I don't really think anything really happened out of that. I mean, you know, the guys that did Easy Rider got pretty steady work with that. Um, like I said, Tom Laughlin, you know, Born Losers, he did Billy Jack, which was a huge success for Warner Brothers. And then you had Romero out there who, and this is one of the reasons I love him, you know, has just a person and has an artist is like, he refused to go to a studio and do that again. I remember reading articles, hearing interviews with him, and he just said, you know, I got offers like, you wouldn't believe to go to a studio and do that again. He's like, I'm not a studio guy. I'm not going to make that again. Like I've already done it. I've said what I needed to say. It's perfect. You know, even with its flaws, I'm just not doing it again. He was just such a badass. He was such a renegade that just, yeah. Well, I mean, what more can you say about that? Um, after nine of living dead came, uh, there's always vanilla, which claimed to have been lost. And, this one's interesting because he wanted to get out of the horror game. He wanted to branch out and do um, other stuff. 
aside from horror, he didn't want to be typecast as a horror director. I mean, the film's pretty interesting, considering when you're watching it, you have to remind yourself it's a Romero film. It's pretty interesting for what it was, and it claimed it was lost for so many years, and then I think it finally came out on um, the Anchor Bay uh, release of Season of the Witch, and Season of the Witch came after that, and that's, you know, a slight horror film. I mean, you're dealing with witchcraft and a bunch of social issues and stuff, so he kind of, like tiptoed back into the horror genre of that one that one's pretty interesting because you know there's no the undead's not in it and it didn't deal with some of the same social issues that night of living dead did and you know didn't have zombies in it either or the undead or however you wanted to call them in night of living dead um i have his filmography pulled up here because we're kind of doing a dive uh crazies that one was interesting i actually i hate to admit this i saw the remake that they did some years back before I saw the Romero one. I know. Take my film nerd card away from me, please. That's just a called for. But I saw the remake, and the remake was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And then I saw the Romero one. The Romero one's just out of control and out of crazy. Um, dealing with that whole threat of nuclear attack, you know, here in the States. I mean, it's a pretty interesting film. Still is, even to this day, even though we're past it. Um after that came a movie called The Amusement Park, which just got released. I have not yet seen that. And funny story about The Amusement Park. Um, I guess a Lutheran church hired George Romero to do this for their church. It was a uh, he. They wanted him to do a film about like elder abuse and like how you shouldn't um, be mean towards the elderly and whatnot. So he gets a bunch of money from his Lutheran church. He goes off and makes this movie, and it's. They were terrified. I mean, first of all, let's let's go back. Why the fuck did you hire the guy that did Night of the Living Dead to do that? I mean, I mean, I don't know if it was like somebody's cousin's like, hey, my friend George, you know, he does movies. He can do this movie for us. I don't know if it was that or just they just had a blatant disregard for like his previous work. But like, why the fuck would you hire the guy who did Night of the Living Dead to do your movie for your church. Um, I can't wait to see it. I know it's on shutter, but I'm kind of opting out for a physical media release. Cause I just, i I feel that's where I need to see it. Cause I grew up loving his films on a VHS and DVD. And I mean, even Blu-ray. So I'm, I'm, I'm holding out for that one. And if you've seen it, please tell me that I, please tell me how you feel about it. Or like, if I need to see this ASAP, you know, just tell me that too. Um, after the amusement park, we got Martin. Martin was a very interesting film. You know, it is a very interesting film. I remember I saw that after I seen Dawn of the Dead. And after I seen Dawn of the Dead, which is next in his filmography, and I'll touch on that a little bit because I do want to do a full-blown episode on Dawn of the Dead. Martin was a really is a was a really interesting film for me to see at that point because I'd seen Dawn of the Dead. I'd already seen Night of the Living Dead. I don't know if I had seen Day of the Dead at that point, but I was really well acquainted with the uh, the zombie George Romero. But I hadn't seen him branch out outside of that. I mean, I take that back. I had I had seen Creepshow at that point. And we'll get to Creepshow when we get to it in his filmography. I'm going in uh, chronological order as far as uh, release date by year. Um. Because, you know, your stereotypical vampire movie, it's just, you know, guy fangs, garlic, and all this other stuff. But this movie's kind of strange because it's like, it's a, he's a normal guy. But is he a normal guy? You know, he gets sent to live with his, uh, I think it's his uncle. It's been a while since I've seen it. Or 
cousin or or somebody. He gets sent to live with re, uh, a relative of his, and like he has these flashbacks of like they're black or white flashbacks, and he's like, you know, this woman's trying to like seduce him and all this crazy shit. So it's like, is he a normal guy? Is he just crazy, or is Martin like this just? Um, family secret that nobody's willing to talk about. Like he's a legit vampire, but he has no fangs. And yes, spoilers do happen. Like in the disclaimer for the um, description of the show. But I, I'm just assuming if you're listening to this that you've probably seen the movie. But it's a real, like I said, it's a real interesting take on the whole vampire mythology. You know, it's just some normal guy who has to use razor blades to suck blood. But like, is he like a legit vampire, or like, is he just some? crazy you know nut job that thinks he's a vampire like i just even to this day i saw this movie almost 20 years ago i bought a real expensive vhs copy of it and i'm just i, I still scratch my head at it. and that's the genius of the film really and if you have not seen martin i highly recommend checking it out i cannot wait till the second sight one gets released because the thing with romero that i loved is like he always like oh there's a version of this film that's like you know this you know this many hours long and whatnot. And I guess there's like a two hour version of Martin that two, I think it's like two, I'm pretty sure it's like two hours that existed that, um, it was lost quotations lost. And they recovered it while they were doing the, Oh, I second sight was doing the 4k transfer of the theatrical version. And, uh, last I've read, I mean, it's just a rumor at this point. So don't take me, uh, don't take my word for it, but they're in the process of restoring it and they're going to release it on the set. So I, I cannot wait to dive into the Martin again on 4k and even see this lost cut. I heard the lost cuts, the, um, longer cuts pretty good. And I also heard goblin did the, uh, soundtrack for uh this long cut i think he, they did the european version so um next up is dawn of the dead i won't go too much into detail about dawn of the dicks i do want to do a full-blown episode on that one i mean it's one of my all-time favorite movies i mean it's in my top five um i just remember the reputation it had with horror fans like you were like oh this is the gone gone with the wind of horror pictures and i had not seen gone with the wind at that point yet so i just assumed it was really good because gone with the wind wizard of oz citizen kane you know they get all held in high regard with being the best films ever made so i was like well this must be the best film ever made and i remember my uncle telling me how great of a movie it was and long story short i bought a videotape at the mall that i shouldn't have bought but my mom was really cool about it. I'll, I'll share the story when I actually do the podcast. But my mom was real cool about it and let me take it back, get my money back, and I bought Dawn of the Dead. And that was my that and Alex Cox's Repo Man was my gateway into cult cinema. And I've just never I never looked back. It's one of my all time favorite movies. It's an important film. More people need to go see it. More people need to seek it out. You know, it sucks that it'll never be on a streaming service. But like that's just the fun of it. Like I remember going to find movies back in the day that weren't at blockbuster like i had to go you know 25 minutes to the west side of columbus to media play to go hope they would have the movie that i wanted because it wasn't at kmart wasn't at blockbuster you know hopefully like i could uh, order it but like the, you know it's just kind of the fun of it i highly recommend the second sight version of dawn of the dead and like i said that was a game changer too i mean here here was a guy who already like shot out of the cannon with a cl instant classic with nine of the living dead. And then he does a sequel to it. And it's, I mean, I'm probably going to get chastised for this. It's even better. It's bigger. And it was a low budget film. It, uh, it, for an indie film, 
outside the studio system, more or less, it uh, it offers a lot. And it's just, it's probably one of the best films of the 70s. I mean, it's one of the best films of all time. Like, you know, just in, when we're talking about films in general, but like it's hands down one of the best films of the decade. Um, and there again, he reinvented himself, man. I mean, he always kind of did. I mean, prior to this, like all the films in between, you know, there's always Vanilla, Season of the Witch, The Crazies, The Amusement Park, which we didn't really know about until here recently. Even Martin, like he's always just kind of reinvented himself a little way. was always more a little bit innovative, his storytelling and his direct his directing style. But like, you know, Dawn of the Dead really put him on the map. Like I feel even more so than Night of the Living Dead did. But like I said, I won't go too much into the Dawn of the Dead because... um I want to do a full-blown episode about that. So let's move on. And the next we got is Night Riders. That one was an interesting movie. I remember watching it for the first time and sitting there going like, oh, it's going to get like creepy and scary. It didn't. It came. It kept the same momentum. I need to get that one. There's a lot of missing missing uh, Romero titles I don't own. That's another one I need to get. Um, I know Shout Factory did a really good um, release of that one. I need to get hold. But like I said, it's an interesting movie, especially coming off Dawn of the Dead. You know, I always notice when, like, artists do, like, a real important, they're, like, their most important work or, like, the work that they, others regard as the best they'll ever do. Like, it's always interesting what they do afterwards. Like, I mean, in this case, like, Dawn of the Dead was this epic, massive uh, zombie movie. And then he does a movie about, like, a traveling, like, jousting company. I mean, that's a complete 180, you know? I mean, then, like I said, like, has history, you know, we've seen in history when someone, like, a band or you know, an artist does something big, you know, it's always kind of interesting to see what they do next. It's like, they, it's not like they want to try to follow that up, but it's just like, they want to keep going. They want to be still out there. They want to still keep making movies or music or whatever, whatever artistic path you're doing. So yeah, Night Riders is a very interesting film, especially coming off Dawn of the Dead. And I need to watch, sit down and watch it again. I need to watch the entire Romero filmography again. Um, up next creep show. That is another one I want to do an episode on. And, um, I'm gonna touch on it on this on this episode, and then I'm planning on doing one in the summertime where I'm talking about movies of that year. So stay tuned. Trying to be as vague as I can about that episode. So let's go back to Creepshow. Creepshow was just is amazing. It's another one of my favorite Romero films. Um, you have the titans of horror behind this one. I mean, you got Stephen King, you got George Romero. I mean, what more do you need at that at that point? Um, I remember seeing that was I think that was the first George Romero movie I ever seen was Creep Show. It was on a Monster Vision with a uh, Joe Bob, and I remember watching it. I didn't know what it was, but like I was so what attracted me to it was like the cartoon comic book nature of it. I was like, well, is it not taking itself seriously? It's not supposed to kind of like what is this? Because you know, I was eight nine years old and I had no idea about tone or like humor and whatnot. So like again, like another head scratching moment. But years later, when I, I deep dove, when I got my Dawn of the Dead VHS, um, I deep dove and like I watched it again. I ended up falling in love. I love it. It's probably my favorite anthology movie. And that movie was important to for me too because um, I ended up watching more anthology movies. I went back and watched the uh, Tales from the Crypt, uh, From Beyond the Grave, uh, Vault of Horror, and um, I kept going with that too. Um, watched Mario Baba's. Uh, Black Sabbath, which is very important because had he not made that movie and had that movie not been shown in the theater across the street from Black Sabbath's uh, rehearsal space, they wouldn't still be Earth. 
So fun fact for you. Um, like I said, I love Creep Show. I thought it was a, a wonderful film, one of my all-time favorites. Just a fun movie. And, you know, kudos to Warner Brothers for putting that out, man. Because at this, you know, from what I'm looking at right now in his filmography, that was the first major studio movie he did. But it didn't feel like a studio movie. I think he had a little bit more money to play with at that one. But, you know, kudos to Warner Brothers for putting that out. Because it's just, it's a phenomenal film. Um, up next, we got Day of the Dead. This one. I mean, each dead movie was like a game changer. This one was just a game changer. It was just brutal. It was just, oh man, it was rough. You know, it was, um, so like night was just kind of set in this farmhouse, very kind of low key. Dawn was set at the mall. This is set in an underground bunker. Like that's fucking terrifying to know that, you know, zombies are running amok, you know, you know, literally above you and you're in this, like, just, you're, it's like no way out. It's terrifying. It's claustrophobic. And just, that was a very good direction. I felt the dead series was, go, was, you know, headed into with this one was that it's just a really brutal movie. And I, the, my only, my only kind of, uh, thing that upsets me about this movie was like, he wasn't given a bigger budget. Cause like I had heard about the original script and how just broad it was, but we, he ended up bringing some of that back for land of the dead, which we will talk about in a few movies from now. Um, I'll tell you what I did see a uh, stranger things and I was great, like smiling from ear to ear when the main characters snuck in to go see that movie i was just like oh man like you know these guys are giving romero love that is awesome the creators of the duffer brothers giving some romero some love um i bought it on videotape i'm jumping around i'm sorry uh i bought it on videotape and i just i don't it took me a little bit to get adjusted to it because i you know i knew night you know dawn was my favorite and it was i was like this is the best one and it still is the best one it took me a little bit to kind of get used to it the tone and stuff because it was a complete 180 for a minute I mean, a social commentary, you know, during that one, obviously, it changes. We were in a new decade, Reagan and whatnot. I don't know if I, you know, I don't really catch political subtext in films all that much, especially if I wasn't alive. And I don't know if that one had it so much, but it kind of like, you know, with a dead movie, he kind of always puts just political subtext in these things. So, but like I said, it was kind of, it was a game changer. It took me a while to get used to. But nevertheless, still an awesome movie. Brutal. Gory as hell, man. So let's move on. Um, Day of the Dead. Monkey Shines. I've seen this once. And that's, you know, he's gone from zombies to animal terror in this one. About the monkey that goes crazy that takes care of the uh, man, I think, who's paralyzed from, like, the neck down. Yeah. Was that one? Was this one written by Stephen King? I'm not too sure. But I will go back and say that... Uh, no, it was not. Um, but I will go back and say that um, King and Romero were a match made in horror heaven, if you will, because they, they just complement, you know, both of them are like masters of their craft and they complemented each other so well with the material that that's why Creepshow is probably one of the best anthology movies, best movies ever made. So we got Monkey Shines. Like I said, I don't have too much to say about that one because I've seen it a few times. Here we go. Um, oh, he did. Uh, how can I forget? Tales from the Dark Side. So Creepshow gets made, and it's a big hit. Like, I mean, it's not a 
I mean, it's it's a big hit. It 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 made money at the box office, so that prompted the powers that be to try to make a TV show out of it. Which here in 2021, they eventually did forty some years after the fact. Um, nearly forty some years after the fact. It um, I think it got started a couple years ago. Liquid, drinking some liquid death people um so they wanted to do a creep show tv show which i thought was genius but they couldn't get the rights to the ec comics so they made up their own tv show which is known as tales from the dark side which is an awesome tv show Cre- it, that one's creepy too you know and it was awesome because it took george romero's low budget filmmaking sensibilities and applied to television and you know the the look and the the look of it really kind of helps it and i love it i need to definitely go revisit tales from the dark side um and another honorable mention because i'm like strictly trying to stay focused on the stuff he did direct uh the tales from the dark side movie another great anthology one highly recommend picking that up a lot of these i need to sit back and watch either again or like just for the first time actually no I, I i reject that last statement a lot of these i need to sit back and rewatch again uh like i said tales from the dark side the movie awesome just like the tv show i don't know if that was a send-off yeah that was a send-off from the tv show because the tv show i think was canceled at that point and tales from the dark side's another tv show that does not get mentioned when we talk about horror tv how important it was i mean it got overshadowed i think by uh, tales from the crypt but i mean tales from the crypt's an awesome tv show and obviously whoever footed that bill had the money to go pay ec comics for for the uh licensing rates the intellectual property rights so i mean they're both good shows but i i do feel that uh tales from the dark side doesn't really get the love and um uh recognition it deserves so yeah check that out um the next film he did do was two evil eyes which parodied him again with another horror genius dario argento that one was awesome because they had been talking about working for years and Dario Argento, man, just brutal. I actually became a Dario Argento fan because of George Romero. Like I ended up becoming a Tom Savini fan. Like I mentioned in my last podcast because of Romero, I became a fan of um, Dario because of George. Because Dario uh, invited uh, George and his wife to italy to write dawn of the dead and he loved it and he said look i will cut this for uh the european audience and his cuts stellar i love the argento cut it's tight it's lean um i love the theatrical cut but if i had to choose out of three i love the argento cut the only thing i don't love about the argento cut is how serious it is but like i guess the european audience really wanted to see that in an a film so that's kind of what he did he catered to the european audience which was a good thing and you also proves that um, Dario knows what the fuck he's doing. So they did Two Evil Eyes, which is kind of like the same premise like of, of Creep Show, only it paired him up with Dario Argento, and they were doing uh, Edgar Allan Poe stories. And for me, it was kind of like a revamp of the Roger Corman, Vincent Price ones a little bit. But I mean, you didn't have somebody like Vincent Price in these movies. I mean, the cast are pretty good in these in both segments, but like. That to me, that's kind of what it reminded me of. They were resurrecting the Roger Corman, Vincent Price, Edgar Allan Poe stories. Of course, they're dark as hell because you have two masters at the helm. Um, I'm, I'm going to highly recommend all these films, so I'm just going to stop saying it right here. Uh, shortly after that, the Nine Eleven Dead remake came out, which I thought Savini did a wonderful job. I just wish Columbia Pictures would have let him release his version of it. Uh, the Dark Half, I own that. Um, 
again, another Stephen King. He adapted his work so well. I'm just a little bummed out he didn't get to do like his Green Mile, like his Shawshank Redemption, you know, like kind of take a work of King's and just it become this big, massive um, entity like Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption is. Shawshank Redemption, sorry. That London, Ohio accent gets me every time. Um, which is funny because uh, Romero was uh, going to do Salem's Lot when they were talking about it being a theatrical feature, but once they wanted to do it for primetime television, he kind of, he uh, he didn't want to do it. He didn't like the confines of um, television, like the practice, standards and practice and whatnot. And that's another reason that makes him a renegade. It's just, he just, he didn't like to be told what to do artistically. And I respect that to the highest. Um, after that, he kind of went through some projects that didn't get made. One of them from this point, because Dark Half was 93. Um, so from 93 to his next film in 2000, he kind of went through some projects, development hell, as they call it in the business. Nothing got off the ground. He was at one point, um, in talks to the resident evil movie. And I, I was a little butthurt when I found out he didn't do it, but I do feel Paul W.S. Anderson did a really good job. I think he had a really good feel for the material as far as, cause you know, I've, play the video game maybe a handful of times and you know remembering what i've played in the video game and saw in the movie i felt paul ws anderson did did it justice and i think romero would have probably wanted to make it like another dead movie which would have hurt my feelings any but i think they the studio wanted him because he you know the the, the dawn of the dead guy you know i mean just why wouldn't you want him to do the resident evil movie so like i said between 93 until 2000 he kind of went through de- development hell try to get stuff off the ground. And then finally he did a movie in 2000 called Bruiser. Bruiser is a really interesting film. Um, it's about this, like, I, I can't even describe it. Like I, I have it. I own it. Um, it's about this guy who kind of feels invisible, kind of feels just like he just, he's unhappy with life. So he just becomes this faceless being. It's a very interesting story. It's a very, well done interesting film and it's crazy because it, it's something different that Romero has hold on I'm trying to collect myself um, it's definitely a departure from what Romero has done in the past um, the misfits are in it um, pre-reunion misfits and just it's a stellar picture like it's one of those I like to watch every now and again and like I said a lot of these I need to dig back out and um, watch again and it's funny he did this in 2000 and I think that kind of resurrected him a little bit because it is a very, very good, well-made film, well-to-do film. Um, there again, you have another lapse. So between 2000, 2005, you probably went through the same thing. You know, we could probably just assume. Um, and then in 2005, Land of the Dead comes out. And I was so overjoyed when I saw the trailer for this. I had just graduated high school. Um, pretty unsure what I was going to do at that point in my life and i remember going to the movies with friends of mine to go see this because i was like wow i can actually go to a movie theater and go see a george romero movie because like i'd watched all the documentaries about his movies and they're just like well i had to do limited release or like couldn't run ads in the paper and stuff and then like you know you know pull out the art section of the columbus dispatch see the movies and see land of the dead i was like holy shit so I was just thrilled and I was smiling, you know, cause it was just like, it's like, you did it, man. You did it. I mean, 
granted i'm pretty sure you could have saw most of these in your local multiplex but like for for me this was a first time for me and like like i said i'm such a huge fan of his that like i just was so i was so happy i was over the moon and it's a well done film it's a great great entry it's I'm just going to assume it's bits and pieces taken from Day of the Dead that he couldn't do because of financial reasons, and he just made took those pieces and added a few other pieces and made Land of the Dead. It's a great, great film, and I hate to say this, but you know, because this is a tribute podcast, I kind of wish he would have ended the Dead series with this. But I mean, and then he gets paired, you know. But at least he gave us more movies before he uh, unfortunately passed away. Um, he got to work with Dennis Hopper, which I thought was fucking cool. You know, here's a guy who was a renegade in himself and, and cinema in the sixties. And here's like the biggest renegade in movies, you know, they're in the same movie. It's crazy. Uh, solid cash. Johnny was I don't know the guy's name, but he was, um, the main character guy. He was in, um, a CBS TV show. Um, who else was in that movie? But I'm not good with I'm not good with names. I am terrible with names. And yet again, I prove my point that I probably should have done a little bit more research. But you know, I had to get a podcast out. I had to, so I figured this was the best route. But anyway, solid movie. Um, I'm shocked that Universal to this day. I'm shocked that Universal let him do it. But I think it's so fucking cool that they let him do it, man. Just like I said, I was as a fan of his as a fan of films i just was so overjoyed when i was sitting in the theater watching this and i still get overjoyed when i watch it even now um after that you got a uh, diary of the dead what's interesting about diary of the dead and survival of the dead and i won't touch too much on these i won't uh, talk too much of too much about these too long <sighs> need some more to drink my uh, throat's getting dry I won't talk too much about these is like, I've only seen them a handful of times, but the thing I loved about diary and survival was like, he went back to basics with the dead, with the dead series. Like I know I said that I kind of wish he would have stopped after land. Cause I thought land was just a great ending to the, to the series, the dead, the Romero, the iconic Romero dead films. But the one thing I for, I kind of forgot with uh diary and survival of the dead is he went back to basics with these. These were indie films. He was trying to, you know, go back to his roots. And when you become successful, you know, in our, it's kind of hard to do that. You know, you're not, you know, you very rarely get a chance to kind of take a step back. I mean, ideally you can take a step back, but I mean, he went from, you know, making movies with pretty good budgets up until this point and then he's kind of stepping back doing these indie films and you know that's just bad respect right there you know most people get stubborn when they get to a point in their career they're just like ah, i want this this and that and not for he wanted to see these films get made so he's just like yeah i'll just do what i did with night and just you know be independent kind of like do small budget micro budget so that's the real charm of diary and survival. And I kind of forgot about that in years. I just remember watching the, I have them. I bought them the day they came out and be like, Oh man, land was so good. You know what? Man, I was just disappointed. But now I look at it now and I'm like, the dude went back to his roots with these. That's important. Cause like I said, not very many artists get to do that in the way Romero did. So that ends his filmography and uh it's pretty solid filmography you know he 
you know, he sh- he he should be proud of the films he gave us. I love all of his movies. Um, what else do I want to say about Romero other than like he was my gateway to horror. I remember I got into him, I got into Dario Argento, and then from Argento I got into the, all that crazy Italian stuff. I mean, you know, he was definitely my gateway drug into like the horror and whatnot, well, classic horror. I mean, I don't know if you could call it classic. I call it classic, but the classic horror that I do watch. And, you know, with guys like Romero, uh, Kevin Smith, uh, Quentin Tarantino, you know, they're some of my favorite directors of all time. You know, I'm in my basement right now, I'm looking at my big movie library and i'm just like had it not been for like guys like that and kind of being so open about like their influences and what inspired them to do such you know a certain movie and whatnot and being open about like their favorite movies i probably wouldn't be the movie nerd that i am today deep dive doing deep dives on my own so i just i tip my hat to them at the end of the day so what else can I say about George Romero that hasn't already been said? I unfortunately never got to meet him. You know, I know he was pretty frequent at cons. I I sadly never got to meet him, but I did go to the Dawn of the Dead Mall in Moreauville, Pennsylvania. And um, I went right before they remodeled it. I guess they did a big remodeling job like in the 2000s. And I went right before that. So I saw like original lighting fixtures and whatnot for me. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I'll tell the story now. I will tell it again at the uh, Dawn podcast that i plan to do in the future i'm trying to do that in october yeah i'm trying to make a month out of horror films i'm trying to do theme months trying to get creative um so i went to the moroville wall ah moroville mall sorry third mouth dry um went to the jc pennies and i'm like i'm gonna slide down that fucking escalator i'm going to do that i remember getting up there and climbing and then i just saw spikes i'm like oh i'm not the only one who's done this so and that was a funny that was a weird trip too because like i was taking pictures of stuff getting my pictures taken with like things from the movie and like i was just getting weird looks i mean now it's cool i mean now people do like youtube channels about it but back in 2002 it was just kind of like fucking weird kid taking pictures at the mall so um I, I think that'll do it for this one. I'm nearing the 37 Kevin Smith reference, Mark. Um, what's your favorite George Romero movie? Is there one that I didn't pay, give enough time to? Please let me know. And um, until next time, everybody. Thank you.